Hey, I'm Erica Jarvis. And I'm Amy Randolph. And you're listening to Podcast Rewind. The podcast about all of the podcasts that we just can't stop listening to. Exactly. When you're done with the show, come join us on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PodcastRWD or be our friend on Facebook. Search Podcast Rewind. And don't forget, you guys are the most important to us. So come and rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, now on Spotify, or wherever you're listening to your podcast. Exactly. All right, let's get on with the show. Everybody, welcome to Podcast Rewind, episode 36. Podcast Rewind, this is where you get all of your good podcast recaps, recommendations, podcast pop culture chit chats. I'm one half of your hosts, Erica Jarvis. You can find me on social media at Erica Jarvis with me every week talking podcasts. It's me, Amy Randolph, the other co host of Podcast Rewind. You can find me at I'm Amy Randolph on Instagram or Twitter. Come follow along and see how I never tweet. (laughs) (laughs) You retweet our podcast tweets, so don't say that you're not a tweeter. I get in tweet storms, not like a Trump tweet storm. Correct. But like a, you know. Because you don't misspell words. Not actively. (laughs) Um, And I feel bad when I do. But no, I mean, I get into storms where I think tweeting is great for like 24 hours and then I'm like, oh, I can't. (laughs) I can't. But, you know, I'll I'll try. You're trying your hardest and we appreciate that. (laughs) So like we said, this is Podcast Rewind. We love to talk podcasts, drink alcohol. Yes. So Amy, (laughs) what are we drinking? Well, um, we've got, I have two drinks in front of me. I am double fisting. I'm having a Bloody Mary actually not made by me. And that is not a very common occurrence. I'm having an Erica Bloody Mary. She kindly made me one a while ago. I'm finishing it up, but I also, for when that's over, have prepped here um, a nice glass of cupcake prosecco. Ooh, how Italian of you! I'm feeling, you know, the summer drinks lately for yeah. sure. So, like Amy said, I did make Bloody Marys tonight. Pretty easy vodka, zing zang. <laughs> A squeeze of lemon, and then as per usual, I've always got a glass of water with lemon next to me just to keep the vocals got hydrate. Absolutely. Course. Well, Amy, is there anything rattling on in your brain this week that you're so obsessed with that you've just got to shout it from the podcast rooftop? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, okay, I don't have anything that's like, I usually know exactly what I'm obsessed sometimes with. Sometimes things are earth-shattering in our lives. Oh, right, and sometimes it's just a week. It's just been, just kind of a week. Well, you know what I am obsessed with? You talked about Huga last week, and it just kind of reminded me of some of the great stuff that I've got in my room. Uh-huh. So I've been going to bed every night with my oil diffuser on and, like, mm-hmm. the lavender scent that's nice. really great for sleeping. And I've been really good about using my jade roller all week. Mm, so I, so good. I appreciate you reminding me of those small things in life that can just really make you feel special and like a lady. Awesome. Do you think you're going to add in the cold showers that I talked about nope. last week? Nope. 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 I pick off the menu. <laughs> Absolutely. A little a la carte self-care. Exactly. Awesome. Well, I have a laundry list of things that I'm jazzed on right now. All right, man. Hit me. One, we got a new fridge this week from our apartment. Oh, uh, yeah. And there is nothing easier... When it comes to cleaning out your fridge, then getting a new one. Yeah, like, like having to. Throw yeah, out all your shit. Throw out all your stuff. You don't have to worry about cleaning up when you're done. They just take it away. Yep. But then it was like a stark reminder that everything that it was in our fridge was 
expired. And so <laughs> when you open our fridge, it's a little barren. Yeah. It's a little collegiate-esque, if you will, but... We'll yeah, be better people. Yeah, but maybe. getting that new fridge was just like, oh, so adulting. Hello. Right? Um, also, I found a pair of jeans that I've been looking for <gasps> for a month. You found I them? I found them. Where were they? Tell me everything. In the trunk of my car, uh-huh. hidden in a Publix bag. Do you think they fell out from a trip? I think I didn't realize that I had that bag in there. I mean, Uh they were tucked in there. (laughs) Like, that was purposeful that they were sitting in that bag. But so, I'm really excited to have those jeans back in my life. Yeah. It's also, like, it's, I hate how often I lose articles of clothing but don't notice. Uh Uh-huh. Because when I find them again, I'm like, oh, my God, look at this sweater. I love it. It's been back in the back of my closet. It's like you went shopping. It's gone. It's like you go shopping. But I'm also reminded that I'm kind of a bad person, that I have so much shit that I don't yeah. notice when I lose my shit. So, like, you you know when you lost those jeans, and you have been, like, tearing the house up yes. looking for them. So, I'm really proud of you, and I'm glad you have your jeans Thank back. Thank you. Maybe you should condo, where you, like, go through your stuff and pare oh. down. Oh, yeah. I definitely need yeah. to. But I will say the real thing that I'm actually obs- – because you know how I like to do my obsessions of, like – this is throwaway and Small stupid, and mm-hmm. this is really cool. Um, I read a new book this week, Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis, and I am loving it. We've been talking about it. Um, if you are a friend of mine and you have a birthday coming up, chances are I'm probably going to buy you this book. Um, if you won't I'm prefer it on... <laughs> Sorry, girl. I'll get you Christmas next round. Uh, if you prefer the Kindle version, let me know <laughs> if you want the hardback. I can also do that. It's just, you know, kind of self-helpy, but more along the lines of... Girl, just get your fucking shit together. Like, you're not as bad as you think you are. Stop believing the lies you've told yourself that I'm not good enough or thin enough, you know, to get a guy. Like, that's bullshit. And I think, you know, the lies we tell ourselves are the ones we believe the most. Sure. So, um, she had a really great quote in the book. And I know you judged me for buying, like, a physical book. But it's (laughs) because I want to go back and read and, like, highlight and, like, take notes and stuff and be that person and, like, Mm -hmm. put in post-its. But she had this great quote that was, like, Someone else's opinion of me is none of my business. Okay. And I just thought that, like, that's so true. We always care what others think about us, and it's none of our business. Yeah. I just thought that was like a, oh, aha moment. It's true, but I think you do also have to be cognizant. Cognizant? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Of what people think of you in certain circumstances because it can affect your opportunities. Yeah, so she was saying, you know, as an author, she shouldn't care if somebody gives her a bad review. That won't stop her from getting another book deal again. So there are different instances in our lives when somebody else's opinion of us doesn't matter. And it it shouldn't affect our day-to-day, but we let it. Sure. And how to, like, break out of that. Yes. So, I mean, with all of that being said... Should we talk podcasts? I think we and let these podcasters know our opinion of them. <laughs> <laughs> we are just kind of sitting here judging. Well, we try not to judge. We try to uplift and support. Absolutely. Like our podcast friends. And we're generally talking about the podcasts that we love. Yes. We might have a question here or there like that we didn't understand. I mean, how many times am I going back to Face of a Feminist to try to understand mm-hmm. what that podcast is putting out? Because I want to support other women. I want to support another podcast. But... I also don't want to recommend podcasts that I don't stand behind. True. And that's also okay to not love every podcast out there. I keep a list of everything that I listen to. So You're at so the good end at of that. the week, I remember, you know, where I've been. And a lot of times a podcast will make it onto my playlist, if you will, that I've heard about or I'm excited about, I've discovered somehow. And I've listened and been like, this is a dud. Uh-huh. This is terrible. And so I'll just put a sad face <laughs> next to it in my notebook and move on. I'm not going to bring it up here and trash no, it. No, definitely not. I mean... It's all about community over 
collaboration over community. There's a hashtag out there that's basically like, you know, lift each other up. Hashtag be nice. It's nice to be nice. That's what we say at work pretty often. Oh. It's nice to be nice. It is. But nice... Oh, according to Jackie Schimmel, even uh-huh. some people thought Hitler was nice. So, like, nice isn't a good personality trait. I think it's more that that saying goes with the golden rule of just treat others oh. how you want to be treated. Put respect out in the world, and you'll see it come back to you. Put respect. It's on nice to be nice. It is nice to be nice. So, I want to be nice. Yes. About some podcast pop ups with you. Fair. Can I? Can you be nice and let me go first? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I've got a podcast. I've brought up this show before, Death, Sex, and Money. Uh-huh. Um, and basically, those three things kind of rule how we live yeah. uh, lots of our lives, right? And I listened to an episode a few weeks back, and it's been sitting with me, and I've been recommending it to people, but I haven't worked it into the show this week. And it was sitting on my mind a lot some more. I recommended it to somebody new again this week. And so I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to talk about their episode titled Manhood Now. Uh-huh. So the big question that um, uh, Death, Sex, and Money put out for their readers or listeners to respond to is, what's the most confusing thing about being a man today? Mm-hmm. Because I do think that in this new Me Too movement, um, you know, feminist uprise, which super love and behind, I do think that there is room for some confusion among our cisgendered and even our transgendered and um, uh, homosexual men about how, what is the right thing for them to do? Got it. And I really appreciate that they're asking themselves that question, uh, what's... What's the right way to behave anymore? As one man who was interviewed, Dre47, brought up, um, what's, what, I'm sorry, this is actually Dwayne, another man. Um, His quote that I loved was, what I learned about being a man as a kid doesn't apply anymore. Mm -mm. Um, And he's married, he has children, so he's kind of, he's very suburban kind of man from what I gathered. And learned, probably, he's probably our parents' age, and so he learned masculinity in a very different way than we, I think, overall are kind of teaching our boys now. Uh And so it's confusing to those men to how to raise boys in this new, more inclusive environment. They talk to a plethora of different men and a lot of their um, outlooks and opinions and experiences I just found really compelling and I learned a lot. And I really appreciated um, those this podcast bringing me stories in a way that made me think from those men's perspective Mm -hmm. and see why they're confused. Not necessarily excusing them because they may behave badly, but to see where it's just difficult for them to adapt. Uh So for instance, Dre, who I mistakenly brought up earlier, is 47. He grew up in the inner city as a former drug dealer and was kind of like big man in the gang. Mm -hmm. Went away to prison for a few years and he's come back out And he's living now, um, working a regular job. He doesn't have all of the power and the uh, cars and things anymore. He drives a 10-speed to work. And he was talking about how in his youth growing up and when he was in the lifestyle that he was, he was never allowed to be soft or sensitive or have a moment. He doesn't even understand what that is. Um, he said, you know, a family member kind of made fun of him recently driving his 10 speed to work and his father stepped in and said, don't you worry about it. A job is to be respected. Yeah. But you know, his manhood took it a hit because he grew up believing you're the toughest on the block. You're the most dangerous. You don't cry. You don't ever show weakness because Mm -hmm. you will be hurt. Yeah. So he's living in a new world and Mm -hmm. having to adapt to that. 
Um, another man, his name was David, and he said when he and his wife started their family, they decided it was best for them for David to actually be the stay-at-home father. Okay. And he didn't have any problem with that from a masculinity t- point of view for himself, but he realized after he did it for a few years, he just felt completely not fulfilled. Mm-hmm. He did it, and he was fine doing it for his family, but he didn't feel fulfilled by it the way that he would hear um, other moms who were yeah. stay-at-home moms that he would interact with at playgrounds, drop-offs. They had this sense of... It's wonderful what they're doing. Uh-huh. And they felt fulfilled. And he felt like, I don't feel that. And then, you know, those women trying to be helpful would say, oh, I know a guy who's also a stay-at-home dad. You should get together with him yeah. and make friends. And he said his initial thought in his head was, he's got to be a weenie. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to hang out with him. What yeah. a weenie. So that perspective was super interesting. I really loved this story of a man named Jack who's transgendered. And he's a school teacher, and he talked about how one summer he was, I don't know what his former name was, Mm -hmm. but one year he was, let's say, Jill, and he came back after the summer as Jack, and all of the kids were like, oh, cool, man, we still play at, you know, recess, everything's good, right? But the parents had a problem. Of course. And the parents are kind of even prepping their kids, you know, Mr. Jack might be trouble. And they're like, we don't see it. No, we think it's fine. Uh And he also had a really interesting perspective of how... He's had to relearn how to relate to women and children in public because when he presented as a woman in the grocery store, say, if a little kid is kind of making eyes, you can wave and smile and play with a little kid as a woman. But then once he started presenting as a male, he quickly learned, you know, women will grab their children close and run away from you if you are a man waving at a little kid in a supermarket. Yep. So what an interesting perspective I thought there. Another man named Charles is, uh, I believe he was African-American. He didn't say, but I kind of gathered that from his his speech. And he said he's a very large man. Uh And that women are constantly, openly terrified of him in public. But listening to him speak, he was clearly a very soft-hearted man. Uh He talked about when he was like 15 or 16, he had already grown pretty big. And he was at home alone with his mom, and they got into an argument. And he raised his voice trying to get his point across. Probably for the first time ever, he had done that with his mom and how she cowered. And he was almost to the point of being angry at his mom. Like, how could you think I would ever hurt you? Yeah. And he talks about how angry he feels towards women in public because... He won't ever hurt them. And for them to be physically afraid of him at night if they're alone in a parking lot or whatever, he's like, it's hard for me to not be a little bit misogynist and be hateful towards women because I'm not going to do anything to you. And he didn't get to choose a size and all of that stuff isn't fair. He is that big and he is that tall. And, you know, look, for me, I'm going to continue to be afraid of a really large guy if I'm alone and it's after dark. I'm going to self-preserve. Yeah. But I can understand Charles's point of view, which actually reminds me of a conversation I had with a guy last night who's a pretty big, strong guy. And um, I made some joke about, like, you're always going to get stuff off the high shelf for me. And he's like, you know what? I actually get really upset how anytime I'm in a room and something needs to be picked up, everyone looks at me. And I'm like, well, but you probably are the most physically capable of picking it up. He's like, yeah, but I don't like when people just look at me and say, go pick that up. How about, can you give me a hand with this? Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, that approach makes a lot of sense to me. And I said, you know... I'm probably really guilty of being a lot of times in a room and needing something done and being like, hey, big guy, oh, you know, over here, 
pick this up. Yeah. I think I'm complimenting you on your physical stature. Yeah. But, you know, you are seeing it as just because I'm big, I have to do literally the heavy lifting or yeah. you're not asking me, you're telling me just because of my size. Mm-hmm. And it made me think about how, you know, pretty women often are told they're pretty in public and you're like, I didn't solicit that. Yeah. Just because you think that doesn't mean you have to say it to me. We're not in the context where that's appropriate. And I don't really, you know, or like a lot of times very skinny women get very offended when someone's like, girl, eat a cheeseburger. Oh yeah. So they're like, that's not fair. Just because I'm skinny doesn't mean you can comment on it and assume that you know how I eat. Yeah. And I have always understood those types of things from a feminine perspective of our different body shapes and um, our different capabilities Mm -hmm. and being, you know, men need to be more sensitive to us. Yeah. But this podcast really kind of opened my eyes that we all need to be sensitive to each other and what we're going through. And that, look, I am not trying to say, oh, poor men. Uh I'm definitely not. But I think that I can have some empathy for their growing pains, and I can definitely applaud their want to be more respectful and just not having the tools. Yeah. So how do we help get them all the tools so they can teach the young boys, uh-huh. and then we don't have to have this conversation anymore? Yeah. But anyway, I, I was really touched by it, and I really hope you guys go back and listen for yourselves. Death, sex, and money, manhood now. Well, so I have an answer for that. Okay. Um, I've been listening to, I've changed my whole order of my podcasts, I've been listening to a handful of male driven podcasts this week. Okay. Um, one, I listened to Lewis Howes on um, The Skinny Confidential. I don't have any of this written down, so we're going... We're going off the cuff. We're going off the cuff. Oh, right. The episode was called like, Male Vulnerability. Uh-huh. And he is like a very motivational speaker. Um, I get a handful of his emails sometimes. Um, I've seen him on TV. He's got his own podcast, and he really talked about what it's like. I mean, he's a former professional athlete, like indoor um, football. Mm-hmm. Back in the day when that was a thing. Um, and what it's like to be a big guy and also deal with the fact that he was sexually assaulted as a child. Mm-hmm. And that is not accepted by society. He does not look the way you would think that somebody would happen to him. You a know victim. what I mean? He doesn't like, look, doesn't like, look like, doesn't have that victim mm-hmm. look to him. And um, just dealt with so much as a child. His brother went and was arrested for dealing drugs when he was young. So he had to deal with that at a young age of what that does to you as a child. So then he, therefore, is like, I'm never touching drugs. I'm never touching alcohol. I can see how bad this road is. I need to go fix it for myself and be better. But never addressed his sexual assault with anybody until he was 25. And he's 35 now. Mm-hmm. So only 10 years ago did he bring anybody into his world about that and was very afraid of when he finally shared it on his own podcast of what it would do to his business. As an entrepreneur, would he lose everything by explaining that? And Lauren Everett's Bostick's husband, Michael Bostick, on the show, Lauren wasn't even there at one point in time. It was just the two guys talking back and forth, having this deep dive conversation. And then they were like, oh, well, have you talked to Aubrey? So then they started talking about another podcast host, Aubrey Marcus. Is that a male, Aubrey? Yes. Okay. And so he has, he was on the Skinny Confidential too. So I went back and listened to that episode. And then I was like, I want to give this guy a go. So it's the Aubrey, Aubrey Marcus podcast. He's a founder of On It. He's like a modern philosopher in his whole goal. I'm sorry, founder of what? On It. On It. Is that a website? It is. Sounds like it's a leisure, like lifestyle brand. Oh, okay. Kind I've of, never heard of it. I, okay. well, I don't think it's for us. Oh, got it. <laughs> it's not marketed to it's me. It's not on marketed Facebook. towards you because I don't think that you're living off of protein shakes and doing. Three a days. Not me. Not Not for me. Not you. Um, But his whole goal is to um, ask ourselves, like, how do we find our purpose and wake up to who we truly are, you know, have a few more laughs and just 
human better. And he's <laughs> very into this like vulnerability, get in touch with yourself, you know, speak out about who you are as a man, but then, you know, ha- raise these questions. So I went back and listened to one of his episodes and I will say I have looked him up. He's quite attractive. He also is like 6'3", full muscle, like good looking guy, deep Tony Robbins voice. And that's the vibe I get from these guys is a little Tony Robbins-y, but for a younger generation and for guys who at the most part are really in tune with their feelings or learning how to be emotional without crying. You know what I mean? And it was just like so cool. Like I said, this masculine vulnerability of just like, hey, like I still wonder who I am and Mm -hmm. get, you know, concerned. He had on an episode 147, Mark Manson, and he is the author of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Mm -hmm. And they had great conversation because if anybody has heard of this book, it's pretty popular. Yeah, I've I've seen it around in the ether. Yeah, it's great for an Instagram. I mean, you can get some things out of it. But it has nothing to do with not caring and has everything to do with caring about the right things in our world. And so um, the guys just have great conversation. But I will say, in regards to that, like, vulnerability, Aubrey and his fiancé have decided to be in an open relationship. Now, I believe the open relationship came after Aubrey went to Peru and did ayahuasca. And (laughs) so if anybody knows anything about psychedelic drugs, it's kind of like a tea made from a handful of leaves in Peru. And you can only get this certain leaf in certain parts of the globe. I've never heard of this. You've never heard of ayahuasca? Uh -uh. Oh, my gosh. So you basically go into a tent with a shaman for like 10 hours. Oh, you I've drink heard of that this stuff. like okay. disgusting liquid. Yeah. And then you trip out. You see your life before you, after you. Yes. I just didn't know the word. Okay. Also, I'm saying ayahuasca. I think the letters are different than what I'm saying. <laughs> like it doesn't say, it doesn't pronounce any way you think it would. But so you have this like psychedelic trip. You get the answers to all of these things that you've been looking for. You find inner peace. And then you either puke your guts out or shit your brains out and then it's over but like a shaman is with you to like ease you through the whole thing Uh and so he said that when he came out of it he was just like I'm the kind of person that while I want to be in a committed relationship know that I need to give love to others and so he came back and asked his girlfriend at the time and she was like oh hell no Uh but then she went down to Peru and did ayahuasca and came back and was like I'm okay with you doing it I don't want to do it for myself. All the men listening right now are buying tickets for to their Peru. girlfriends to Peru. Oh, yes. Definitely for Christmas. But so, you know, it talks like, but it must work for them because then he proposed to her. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Girl so, got but, a ring out of it. Right? But then in regards to that vulnerability aspect that I was talking about, he was telling Mark like, yeah, so like my, you know, fiance's got like a guy that she dates, you know, and sleeps with and whatever, who is a wrestler or like a boxer. Uh-huh. He was like, so I'm like, shit, I need to get back in the ring. I have to be, you know, even more muscly. So like, despite the fact that they have this open communication and they pledge to spend their mornings together and have these deep conversations, still has that insecurity. And that's a lot of what this podcast was so much about. And that I found with these male driven podcasts is that I think that's a really great place for guys to go to who are looking for some questions who are also okay with a little bit of that, like, new age philosopher mentality. Yeah. So you're not going to therapists. You're going to guys that have done this a couple of times and think that they might have some answers. So it's interesting, but, like, it's a new um, 
venture for me for a podcast to listen to stuff like that that's a little male driven. Yeah, we do a lot of female focused podcasts yeah. on this show. So I'm proud of us for I venturing mean the number one bit. podcast in the world is Joe Rogan experience. So True. clearly I mean Howard Stern has been, you know, yep. the shock jock forever. Clearly guys, you know, are running this realm. So it's good to give them a listen every now and then. Tell me the name of that podcast again that you were the just talking. Aubrey Marcus podcast. The Aubrey Marcus podcast. Yes, and then okay. the other one was Lewis Howes. I like I said, I haven't listened to his, but just hearing him on this getting confidential, I was like, I might go back and scroll, see if I find something I like. All right. So I realized I totally biffed the order while you were talking. We decided <laughs> right before you would go first, and and then I just got it in my head that I was. So um, oh, I'm going to go next, at least. Uh-huh. We'll go back and forth. I've got something real simple and easy, fun I want to talk about. So it was the 4th of July week. Oh, I should have said that my obsession was my 4th of July. I had so much fun with my girl Brenda <laughs> and her family. All right, Amy, I really got to get this shit together. <laughs> anyway, it was the 4th of July week, and because... The holiday came right in the middle of the week. Yeah. Basically, everybody canceled TV. No oh. new episodes of all of our favorite shows were on all week. Raise your hand if you felt personally television victimized by the 4th of July, I'm right? Full, I'm raising both hands. Give me my Charleston. Come my on. Southern charm. So two of my favorite um, kind of like fun throwaway podcasts yes. did really funny episodes this week in lieu of not having new shows. So Watch What Crappens, our boys Ronnie and Ben, um, did a trailer pick-apart or a trailer review, which I love. They usually only do these as bonus episodes that you can get on their Patreon page. But they will take a trailer for a new Housewives season, and it's only two and a half minutes long, but they will make an hour podcast out of breaking it down second by second, and it's delicious. It's so good. But they actually did something I've never heard them do before. Because if you watch any of the Bravo shows, you know that about halfway through the season, they go, and coming up the rest of the season, and you get like a mid-season trailer for what's going to happen towards the end. And like what the big finale drama is going to be. And Ronies for season 10, which is currently in the middle, was so good that a mid-season trailer got an hour-long pick-apart on Crappens. And it was... There's the elevator. I hope you got stuck in it. (laughs) I mean, like, the quotes are ready. I cannot wait for, like, why are you saying that? This season is already iconic, and we haven't gone on the trip from hell, the boat trip from hell in Cartagena yet. Nope. It's gonna get better. So that was a really fun podcast. And then two judgy girls, one that you brought to our attention a few weeks ago, um, they didn't have anything new to talk about this week in their Bravo world either, so they went back and rewatched the classic New York Housewives um, episodes in season three, the Scary Island episodes. So... And to have, I've heard a recap of that on Watch Out Crappens. They did a live show one time where they recapped it. It was fun, but these girls, you know, it's always good to be refreshed on Kelly Ben Simone and her gummy bear drama. Uh, Um, Look, that episode is iconic. I know we've talked about it on this show several times. And to hear girls who I just discovered go back and watch a thing that I watched and talk to me about it and recap it and remind me that, first of all, remind me that the whole reason we were at that island was because Ramona Singer and her husband. We're going to do a um, uh, recommitment ceremony, yes. and now, like now, they're divorced. It's just so crazy so to go good. back to 2011 and these ladies that I watched then, and then compare them to how they are now. But anyway, if you want to have a good throwback recap, yes. check out Two Judgy Girls this week. Awesome. Well, um, like I was talking about earlier, my obsession being that book um, "Girl Wash Your Face" by Rachel Hollis. Mm-hmm. 
I've talked about her on this show before because she had a podcast called The Deus Podcast. And I popped that up when she talked about like the five things you should do every day. Yeah, like right. get a half an hour of working out, drink twice the amount of body weight and ounces of water, those kinds of things. Well, she changed her the name of her podcast to the Rise Podcast. And Rise is a really big thing she does in her she calls it her chick tribe. Yeah. Her chic tribe. We're gonna go, right? To the So AMC. we're gonna go to the AMC. Um she's doing like a one night documentary. Yes. If you couldn't make her rise weekend that she had this past spring in LA. So her whole concept with her tribe is like rise. Mm-hmm. So she changed her podcast name to the Rise Podcast. And like I said, I know I've talked about it before, but the whole premise of her podcast is bold conversations like with fellow business powerhouses that provides the listener with a real life takeaway. So a lot of entrepreneurial things, how to start up a business, how to, you know, be a stay at home mom, how to be a working mom. All of these things are okay. What do you want to be? And let's help you find, like figure out how to be the best version of that. Right. But so, um, I listened to her one the other day from how I went from a size 14 to a size two and kept it off. I was like, great. Yeah. What do you got? How do you do that? She was like, took eight years. And I was like, Oh, who has, who has the time? So, um, I will say quickly, she did say that she had the idea to cut out diet Coke from her life for 30 days. And then from there was able to keep it up. And then I was like, okay, I shouldn't be eating fried chicken. And then really just slowly started to create a lifestyle for herself. Um, but in other news, her and her husband, Dave Hollis, formerly of the Walt Disney Company, um, <laughs> she was married. Her husband was the um, like president of theatrical releases for Disney Studios, and he just left the company, and they moved to Austin, where they're taking her entire company, book, lifestyle, all of this stuff, and now they're popped up in Austin, Texas, and they started a couples podcast called Rise Together. Oh, I love that. Right? Really cute. The whole Hollis company, or she calls it. Hoko. He's not buying it. I thought it was super cute. <laughs> I, love Hoko. I love Hoko. Um, so they had their first episode in the car. They were running errands and she was like, I thought I would just try out my iPhone mic and do our first podcast. So they've only got one out so far and it's really them just talking about why they, you know, decided to work together full time, why they moved to Austin, what you can expect from their podcast. And they seemingly are a perfect couple. But if you read Girl, Wash Your Face, you will know that they went through quite a lot to get to where they are now. Mm-hmm. So I think they're a great couple. If you're looking for some coupley podcasts, to definitely check them out. But give them a few weeks to beef up their episodes. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. All righty. Well, shall we take a little break? Yes. Group and get some big old recaps out there? I would love that. Okay. Right back, guys. Hey, guys. We want to take a quick second and shout out to our Patreon subscribers. That's right. Let's start with our intro rewinder, Sandy Randolph. Thanks, Mom. (laughs) Exactly. We also have a professional rewinder, and that is April Valdez. Shout out to April and her crew at Salon Bon Tempo. You can find them on Instagram at Salon Bon Tempo. And if you live in Orlando, be sure to check out April. She's an amazing hairstylist. What they're doing over there is awesome. So thanks, ladies, for listening. We love April and Salon Bon Tempo, and we would love to shout out you next week. So come on over to Patreon.com for as little as a dollar an episode. So cheap. So cheap. What's a dollar? You can join us. You can be a rewinder, and you will have exclusive access to our bonus episodes. So over to Patreon.com slash Podcast Rewind and rewind with us. Awesome. All right. Let's get back into the episode. Hey, everybody, we are back. So, Amy, like you said before the break, we're going to do some big old recaps this yeah. week. Last week was a lot of pop-ups. Yep. We've got some good ones for you this week. i got a doozy. You really do. I am excited to hear about it. But why don't you start first, 
going to do my usual and stay light. Okay. So, um, ever have a podcast that you start listening to and then you're like, oh no, I am obsessed. <laughs> yeah. I only want to listen to this now. You go back, you do deep dives. Yeah. yeah. Everybody get ready. Danny Pellegrino, you're my <laughs> new best friend. I talked about Danny Pellegrino's Everything Iconic podcast a couple episodes ago, and I just have to say, I am so heard by this man. <laughs> I mean, he also thinks that the nanny is one of the greatest things to ever happen to pop culture, and I cry every day that I can't find that show on any streaming service. You can only find it on the Logo Network, so I understand that they are going towards their target market. Yep. But we don't get the logo channel, so it doesn't oh. matter. But he has done and delivered a beautiful new concept to his podcast. He has a host on, um, and he calls it Pop Dive. And he will always has a great like co-host on with the show with him. But he has gone going back to just iconic pop culture TV shows and just doing a huge deep dive. His first episode was all about the Rosie O'Donnell show. Yes. So good. He had on with him guest Alan H. Scott, and they just... Alan H. Scott <laughs> skipped the last day of school one year because that's the day the Rosie O'Donnell show premiered. Like That's no way. how important it was to him to see her show. Okay. Like, that came on in the afternoon, or at least at my, maybe just at my market. Yeah, no, I think it came on at three, but I think he was like, I have to 100% be, like, sitting down, waiting, I have to be ready to go. (laughs) So, of course, they both talk about, like, how did you bring Rosie, how did Rosie come into your life, you know, sharing all those stories. But then, it was like I forgot completely what the Rosie O'Donnell show did for daytime television back in the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She was really fighting against Jerry Springer, Jane Jones, all of those shows, And here we had somebody who was famous in her own right interviewing other celebrities, but she wasn't interviewing them as a peer. She was interviewing them as a true fan of them and their work. Mm -hmm. And so it just created this humanized factor to Rosie O'Donnell that we hadn't seen before and have not seen since. But (laughs) um, I will say they just talked about how the whole opening was so great. She had someone from her audience actually introduced her and then she would stand and chit chat with them. Yeah, I remember. And it was just like, you thought to yourself like, oh, I could be there. I could be friends with Rosie. Like we could have a conversation. Um, and then I was just going to say though, real quick before you move on, it was so interesting how you kind of alluded to it, but how the public persona of Rosie O'Donnell is nothing like no. it was back then when she had that talk show. Just amazing how that has changed. Yeah, I really think it was her time on The View. Yeah, because like, I almost don't remember that Queen of Nice Rosie no. with the koosh balls and her love of Tom Cruise. Yeah. Well, what did happen while she was on the show um, was, remember her big conversation with Tom Selleck over gun control? No. So it was like, I can't remember entirely when Columbine happened, but I think it was... 99? I think it was around the time her show was still on. Mm-hmm. And Tom Selleck had kind of said, like, had done a media piece or like a commercial that was like, I am the NRA. Like all these people kept coming out like, I am the NRA. I am the NRA. And he was on and she was like, we got to talk. Like you're a spokesperson. Don't you feel this certain way about gun control? And they played the entire conversation between the two of them. Really? On on this episode. And it was just like, whoa. Huh. Because we're still having that conversation today. (sighs) And that's what was so jarring. And... He was like, oh, I thought I was coming on here to talk about, like, my movie. She was like, you just did. Um, We have to get back to this conversation, like, children's safety. And, you know, it was just so mind-blowing. So, like, kudos to Danny and however he is able to get clips of stuff and can play it longer than 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. So, kudos. That's amazing. Um, His whole Rosie O'Donnell one was just so 
funny that I was like, well, he has a second one. Let me check that out. Yeah, yeah. And he did the dirty work for us. And he went back and rewatched MTV's Newlywed with Nick and Jessica. Yes! I loved that show. So good. Beginning to end. I've seen every episode. I, my mom loved it. My mom and I still laugh about the time that, like, Nick and his brother refused to hire anybody to lift an armoire into yes. their house. Yes. So they did it together. They rigged up a pulley. <laughs> the most terrifying pulley most I've ever terrifying. seen. And then, like, when he wouldn't pay to, like, have somebody sod his grass, so he did it himself. But then he was like, <laughs> oh, this is hard. But then all of the times that Jessica wondered, is this chicken or is this fish? Oh, I don't eat buffalo. Like, God bless. And here's a fun fact that I... Tucked away in my head, didn't remember. The is this chicken or is this fish that I am eating conversation happens within like the first five minutes of episode one. I, I don't remember it that way either. No. Mine blown. Blown. And so it was just like, what? Like all of these iconic things that she turned into a brand for herself. And so he just deep dive all of that in his second episode of Pop Dive. And he has on his friend Amanda Has Hasaka. Sure. Sorry if I'm saying that wrong. But um I knew this fact too and forgot about it. Um, Newly was was originally slated to be Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie Presley. No, I didn't know uh, that. Yes, no and then, fucking like, way. They she wasn't in it for love, so no. they had to go find somebody else that just got married. Like that's who they really wanted to be on that show. That marriage was so crazy. I don't think yeah. he was in it for love either. He was in it to prove that he's straight, and because he was obsessed with Elvis. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's also why Nick Cage married her. Oh, the baggage. Right? That's Louis Vuitton. <laughs> But, okay, so here's the thing. I did that thing we always do. What? That what, podcast-like what? Rabbit vortex hole? rabbit yeah. hole. Feels good, though, doesn't oh, it? It's so fucking cathartic. So when I was listening to the Rosie O'Donnell one with Alan H. Scott, he had mentioned that he had his own podcast called You're Making It Worse and that Danny had recently been on there. So I was like, well, hold the horses. More. Let me get on that. More Alan, or I think it's H. Allen Scott. Sorry, Alan. It's H. <laughs> Allen Scott. So it was like, hold the horses. I got to go over there and listen to more Danny Pellegrino. So, holy shit. You're making it worse is it's iconic, if I can use a Danny Pellegrino word. It is um, three male, kind of like comic guys. You've got Elliot Glazer. And if that name sounds familiar, he is Alana yes. Glazer's brother. He is also on Broad City with her. Okay. No, I, I know, know him then. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you're a Broad City fan, you know that he actually plays her brother on the show okay. and their siblings. And he's also gay on the show and gay in real life. So it's like, Whoa. this is just super easy, right? He's also got H. Allen Scott and Brent Sullivan. And the tagline is, we're here, we're queer, who the fuck cares? I love it. And love that, that is basically what it is about. It's like the idea of being gay can be like really exhausting. <laughs> and so there are only seven episodes in. And like there's just so amazing there are, like, conversations in the beginning about, like, something that's on in, like, the zeitgeist. Zeitgeist? Yes. Uh, you know, pop culture world. So they were talking in one episode how they'd read some article in the New York Times that, like, you know, twinks are the new trend in the gay world. And they're like, that's so fucking stupid. Like, that's not how any of this works. Twinks like, have also been around for, like, ten years. That's uh-huh. not new. Yeah, they're like, that's not new. And they're like, oh, because Timothy Chalamet and that, like, Call Me By Your Name is popular. Mm-hmm. and. Troy Sivan is really popular, and he has, they've got that, you know, skinny frame, and they're like, all right, well, we're just, like, dudes who are gay. Like, no, that's so stupid. Let's not have that kind of conversation. Um, They also had a long conversation about the um, ban in the military of transgender people, and um, had a great conversation about that and just how many people are in the military 
for transgendered and how often people don't care when they're in the military. Like, are you fighting with me? Great. Because, like, I don't want to do it. So if they want to do it, who am I to stop them? So they have this, like, beginning conversation that's always, like, really important. Mm -hmm. One that I was just listening to earlier was, I guess Rita Ora has a song out called Girls and how she drinks wine and then it, like, makes her want to kiss girls. Yeah, I've heard about that. To which the guys are like, who the fuck is Rita Ora? And she (laughs) doesn't care. But they were kind of saying, like, it's stupid, whatever. But Elliot was like, I still believe that, like, I Kissed a Girl by Katy Perry is the stupidest fucking song. It's one of the worst things for, you know, our community. He was like, I hate this shit. So you're going to get some really good conversation in the beginning. And then in the middle, you've got your guest portion. So Uh this is where Danny Pellegrino came on. And I learned why he calls his show Everything Iconic. He said he was knew he wanted to do a podcast, kind of pop culture, Bravo-heavy, and was scrolling through Instagram. And Britney Spears had, like, clearly, like a Google image photo of corn or something. And all of these gay guys were like writing in the comments, like iconic, iconic, iconic. And he was just like, everything's iconic, I guess. (laughs) So um, that was so funny. And of course they go and ask him like, what is iconic and what's not? So they were like, remember when Cher did hair commercials in the nineties? He's like, iconic, like Chumbawamba. He's like, not iconic. (laughs) Uh, I think it's the other way around, but I'm not a gay man. But I'm not a gay man. Exactly. Um, So we like both like to be with men. So accurate. Anyway, I know. But, like, like I said before, he's a big fan of, like, the older actresses, like Bonnie Hunt, you know, iconic. Yes, she's iconic. You know, all of that kind of stuff. So hilarious. Um, but then I was also went back and listened to episode four with Nicole Byer. Her voice will sound really familiar. I'm sure I've seen her on um, maybe MTV shows where you've got, like, talking heads. And I think she also does a lot of stuff with BuzzFeed. Female black comedian. Really oh, funny. okay. Um, in her episode, they were talking a lot about, like, the trope that gay men are grossed out by vaginas and how that has got to fucking stop. Really? Yeah. And they were like, you came out of one. Yeah. Like, could you just, all right, you're not the, a fan of it, but move on. Like, that's just, it's tired. Okay. I agree. Like, it's just. I know gay men that do that all the time. And I'm yeah. like, all right. If I hear one more gay man be like, if it bleeds more than seven days and it's not dead yet, and it's like, mm-hmm. shut, shut up. the fuck up. It's like so annoying. And it's really disrespectful to women. It is. If you want to go back to like, you don't get to choose certain things, it's disrespectful mm-hmm. to feel that way. But then I learned about gold star versus platinum star gays. Okay. This is new. Tell me everything. Do you know what a gold star gay is? No. A gold star gay is a gay man who has never had sex with a woman, but was born vaginally oh god so a platinum star gay oh no oh no is a c-section gay who's never (laughs) had sex with a woman who's literally never literally never been in the realm of a vagina vagina. jesus christ dying so funny (laughs) i think you keep that actually because it's hilarious oh my god i'm obsessed (laughs) so great um but then they thank their guests the guest goes on and then they have a segment called and another thing <laughs> and it's just like the guest leaves and somebody just has a conversation they want to chit chat about in one episode they were talking about denim and how this one guy was like oh I like your you know denim or something he was like well, these are jeans denim is a color and they was like there's a difference between denim and like jeans uh-huh. denim is a fabric that's not you what? jeans denim is a color that is used no, it's just a whole conversation I get a green denim you have green jeans. All right. We're going to talk about this later because <laughs> I don't believe. I thought, but no, denim is the fabric. I don't think it's cotton. All right. Yeah, but the way it's woven, I mean, everything is cotton, but there's jersey knit. Yeah. There's canvas. I mean, that's they, there's, that's, listen, that was their whole conversation. All right. We're going to do all this shit later. Yeah, but you're going to love agree. episode four. Okay. And another thing. Cheese. 
<laughs> just cheese. Okay. And so they just talked about cheese. Yeah, I gotta hear that. <laughs> and so they were talking about, like, how disgusting cottage cheese is. Agreed. And I don't. Yes, I Am don't. I alone? <laughs> I, I can't stand it. And I like all forms of dairy. Yeah, and that's what a lot of them were saying is, like, I there's not a cheese I won't eat. And they're like, hold up on the cottage cheese. And I was like, I think it's so delicious. No, not keep it. Um, and then they, of course, had a whole conversation, ricotta versus about Giada. Yeah, exactly. They were doing that. Um, just like so many hilarious conversations about cheese. Um, what's better, feta or blue cheese? Depends on the dish. So a salad. It depends. No, they were just like. <laughs> well, look. Are you? Are what, what's my dressing? Are we putting on olives and tomatoes and red onion? Because then I need a feta. Are we putting on like a spicy chicken with a cheddar? Because then I want blue. I'll have blue and cheddar cheese on the salad. <laughs> don't 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 threaten me with a good time. Right. <laughs> it's so funny this whole cheese conversation because the one guy was like, "There's like only one cheese that I don't like," and everyone was like, "Jarlsberg." <laughs> he was like, "No, ricotta cheese," and the other one was like, "Oh yeah, we're good." And they were like, "You're so Jewish and from Long Island," and that's how my like one side of the family being from Long Island and Italian say. Ricotta, mm-hmm. and I've been to restaurants, and my cousin will like ask for like the manicotti instead of manicotti, and like the restaurant, like the server will be like, "All right, I'll be back with your manicotti." Like, it's manicotti, and if you can't say that, you cannot bring it to me. And I'm like, Jesus, calm down, calm your tits. Anyway, lastly, the show ends with, "What would your aunt say?" Where they kind of dissect their whole recent episode and say things like, "How would your aunt feel about this?" So they're like, right, "What would your aunt say about this?" And the one guy was like, "Oh my god, my aunt would be like, ugh." Cheese gives me gas. <laughs> <laughs> all of this kind of stuff. Anyway, it was all so funny. I am just living for Danny Pellegrino yeah. and these guys. I even um, sent this podcast over to a friend of mine, Craig, who not a big podcast lover mm-hmm. and also doesn't like things to be too gay. And <laughs> as a gay man. He's a gay man. It's yeah. hilarious. His husband loves him for it. And I was like, I think you would really like this. And he was like, are you sure? <laughs> and I was like, I wouldn't send it to you if I didn't think you would like it. So anyway, that was did my... Did Do you know? I only did this about two hours ago. Oh. So probably not. <laughs> it might be busy. It might be a little busy with other things. But yes, yeah, so that was my Danny Pellegrino Vortex all the way down to a brand new podcast that I'm loving. You found a lot of stuff. I know. Wow. I think you've had like eight shows brought up today. Good job. I did what I can you do. You did your homework, girl. I know. And I went to work this week. <laughs> only three days. Uh, oof. I went... Ah, I only went whole four. But. <laughs> Anywho, um, all right, I have, like, like I said, a monster of a podcast about a monster of a man. Uh-huh. Um, our ParCast friends. We love ParCast. Yes, we do love ParCast. They've got a plethora of shows, but two of their shows got together and did a mashup special three-part um, deep dive into Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know I love a deep, dark, true crime. This one is Unsolved. So the show Serial Killers and the show Unsolved Murders, both of both of the podcast podcast, excuse me, network, got together. The four hosts, uh, Greg and Vanessa from Serial Killers and Carter and Wendy from Unsolved Murders, got together and they did a three-part, about forty-five minute each, dive into Jack the Ripper. Um, did they call the show Unsolved Serial Killer Murders? <laughs> no, they just called it Jack the Ripper. Just oh. <laughs> saying. It would have um, been really good. So the kind of the points of the show was to try to understand his motivations uh-huh. um, and to kind of roll over the actual 
uh, murders because I don't actually know a lot of the details. Mm-hmm. I do now. I'll be sharing some of them with you. And then to speculate on who it was. Got it. Okay. So um, back at the beginning, let me give you like the time and the feel of, sure. of what was happening. Paint me a picture. So actually, he was only active for 10 weeks in 1888 from August to November. He... Confer- there are five women, all sex workers, that are definitely um, assigned to him, though there are up to ten murders. So there's five more that they can't just definitely say were done by Jack the Ripper, but there are five that they definitely know. Um, he instigated social and cultural terror, and a lot of that was perpetuated by the media because this was the first time the press really picked up on an unsolved killer case. Uh-huh. And so all of London was interested in it all the way up to Queen Victoria at one point gets involved and yells at the police like you have to solve this people are dying yeah and uh to this day it's part of pop pop culture particularly because it's never been solved and there's a group of people out there that call themselves ripperologists who are still out there love anology dissecting this case also interestingly in 1988 a hundred years after the murders, the FBI did a deep dive investigation and basically did a profile. We cool. think it would be this type of person that lived in this type of socioeconomic condition. Da 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 da. But we still don't. Yada yada yada. Yada yada yada. Okay, so let's talk about where it was. Um, all of the murders happened in and around Whitechapel, England, which is a terribly uh, poverty crime ridden area. On the east end of London. Okay. So um, London area. the west end still to this day is kind of like the upper part mm-hmm. of the so city. The theater is, the right? The theaters are there, the rich people. The east end is a little bit more, I think it's still to this day, a little bit less mm, fancy. Should sure. I use that word? Should I use that word? Um, so they said, you know, even the cops would only go to Whitechapel in groups of four or more. They wouldn't go alone on patrol. And, um, at this time, most people couldn't even afford a place to actually live. Uh You would rent a bed. Like they would be houses Uh of just rows of twin beds and you would rent from the inn owner a bed for the night. If you couldn't afford a bed, you could rent out a part of a wall to lean up next to. Get out. No, I will not. Um, but it was definitely one of those communities where everyone liked their gin, and yeah. you worked just as hard for your money to drink as you did for your money for your bed that night. Crazy. So basically, people spent all day long out there hustling, just trying to make enough money to eat, drink all they wanted to, and um, have a bed that night. Aren't we and, all doing that? Now? Yeah. And, you know, of course, women who weren't supported by their husbands mostly had to turn to sex work to uh-huh. accomplish that. And they said at the time in 1888... Uh, there were probably about 1,200 active sex workers. Wow. Mm-hmm. So in this, so I'm talking about part one still of the episode, and they're going to tell us about the first two victims. Okay. So let's get into it. First up was Mary Ann Nichols. She was 42 years old. She was a divorced mother of five. She was an alcoholic, and that's basically what broke up her marriage. Um, at the time, she was sharing a room. With another, I think, sex worker. Um, so this is August 30th, 1888. She was out drinking this evening, um, knowing that she, you know, she had a little money for the drinking. She was going to need to go back out and make more money at her profession to get a bed that evening. Um, she had been kind of pub hopping. And someone witnessed her being uh, kicked out of currently the pub which she was in. 
Um, she had no money for a bed, so they wouldn't even let her kind of like chill in the uh-huh. corner. It gets to a point in the night where you got to pay for your bed. You got to get out of here. Yeah. So she was out wandering the streets, and next morning. Her body was found in a tarp, and her throat had been slit. So, okay, that's brutal. We don't know. Something bad happened to this woman. The police start investigating. But then, uh, just about a week-ish later, on September 8th, Annie Chapman, who was 47, um, similar situation to Mary Ann Nichols. She had been married. She actually came from a pretty well-to-do family, but drinking got the best of her, and her husband kind of kicked her out. Uh, so she wound up moving to London, then, you know, couldn't get work, found herself in this East End Whitechapel area, and wound up having to turn to sex work. Her husband was supporting her for a little while, but eventually that he just stopped yeah. sending her any, any money. So she, again, kind of just lived off the booze and had a colorful life. She had gotten into a fight a couple days before she passed, and, like, she had a black eye. She had gotten some pain pills for that, and she was carrying those around. But anyway, one night, she was out looking for money to get a bed, and her body, again, was found the next morning with her throat slit. But it was much more gruesome of a scene. Her um, intestines had been pulled out, and her uterus was missing. So there uh, was before people would eat like back then they didn't know to eat the placenta like, <laughs> right well your entire intestines were like you know that's your belly stuff it was pulled yeah. out and like slung over her shoulder and her uterus was out and um, so there was a witness who had seen her talking to a man the night before and so he was able to give a rough description of the guy and kind of mentioned he looked like he was wearing all right clothes like not normal East End yeah. gentleman clothes. And the coroner who looked at the body said, these are clean, precise cuts. Ooh. And this must have been, this was done in a back alley, so it was in the dark, and it must have been quick. In order to really cleanly, you know, remove a uterus and disembowel this woman in a very precise way, the coroner was like, this guy's a doctor. For sure. Or he knows something yeah. about anatomy. It's another coroner. For sure. Here. Yeah. So that's helping the police now to kind of hone in in their investigation so um like i said now there's two women in in just over a week so the press is starting to pick up on this and fear is kind of spreading all over london even into the west end because even though it's a less important people if you would if you would say Uh, as far as like i'm not saying that yeah i'm saying the it's a different class in like the the press and the West End was kind of treating it that way, uh-huh. but they were still on alert. So someone was actually arrested in the middle of September. His name was John Pizer. He was known as um, a, a bully. He was he was known to harass sex workers and take their money, oh. threaten to cut them up, and threaten to you know rip them up and stuff. So they arrest Jack Pizer and they think, all right, we got this guy, we're good, and that's where part one of the three part episode ends. So picking up on part two, everything changes because the police receive a letter from a man claiming to be the killer. And now it's while they have John Pizer in custody Mm -hmm. and he calls himself Jack the Ripper. So that's where the moniker comes from. And they, the police actually think it's a hoax just because it's been in the press and they think they have their guy. So they don't release it to the press. Mm -hmm. Well, John Pizer actually has alibis for 831 and 98 the two days of the murders, and the police were able to follow up, and he totally checks out. There's no way he did it, so they have to let him go. And at this point, the 
crowd, the people, the public is starting to really bear down on the police. Like, why aren't you solving this? So they released the letter that they received from Jack the Ripper. So now the press is having a great time with that, you know, publishing the letter. They start to get a whole lot of fake letters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they get a... So anyway, in the letter that Jack sent, he describes the crime. So it's pretty clear that he was there, whereas the other hoax letters they're yeah. getting don't, don't describe them as well. And he talks about what he wants to do next. Um, at the same time, the community is starting to put together a group called, like, the Community Vigilantes uh-huh. because they don't think the police are doing enough. So they want to organize themselves and kind of do, like, a night watch, you know, neighborhood safety yeah. organization. So they are starting that. And then most of September is pretty quiet. But then there is a double murder Ooh. on the night or actually the very early morning hours of September 30th. So first up, we find the body of Elizabeth Stride, who was known to her friends as epileptic epileptic Annie. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't epileptic. She would get wasted and pretend to have strokes at parties as like a trick. So, you know, she, again, she was a lady of the night. She was a sex worker. Um, She had been found in a yard that was... um, she was on in the yard with her throat slit, and it says that, you know, the blood was actually still oozing when they found her. Oh, so it was fresh. So it was very fresh. And so the theory is that he had a hold of her and kind of got caught in the act, or he thought somebody was going to come up. So he very quickly sliced her throat, left her body. But that may have enraged him because he didn't get his urges satisfied. Mm-hmm. Because then a woman by the name of Catherine Eddowes was out drinking by herself and um, got herself so drunk that she was kicked out of a bar at 8.30 oh. in the evening. 8.30. And, 8.30. And the police picked her up and put her in the drunk tank, yeah. basically. And they let her back out at 1 a.m. Oh. Like, they just basically put her in there to sober her up enough for her to get back out. And then she's still got to figure out how to get money for a bed that evening. Crazy. So she's out wandering around. And, of course, she's again found in the morning. And she's badly mutilated more so than the the woman prior um i'm not going to go into all of the details because it's pretty bad but um her midsection was brutalized her one of her kidneys is missing and her face was pretty brutalized so um and and her body was found at about a 12 minute walk from where the first body was so um then on october 1st so a day later a second letter arrives at the police office which is known as the Saucy Jackie postcard because it's mm-hmm. splattered in blood and it's oh. really just a postcard and it refers to both the double murders in detail and uh, talks about the frustration of not being able to finish Ooh. the first one. So they think that he wrote this off immediately when he got home and sent it. Then a few days later, George Lusk, who is the head of that community vigilante group, uh-huh. the Night Watch group, receives a package in the mail of half of a human kidney because the lady's kidney was just missing with a letter in it written in red ink um, suggesting that it was Catherine's kidney and that that was from Jack the Ripper and he had cooked and eaten the other half of it. Yeah. And in fact, now to this day, they still have all of those letters and all three that they believe were actually written by Jack the Ripper. Handwriting analysis folks have gone over, our experts have gone Uh over, and they really do believe that they were all written at least by the same person. Okay. Now, there are some theories out there that even though there was definitely a serial killer on the loose, the journalist wanted to keep sensationalizing, Uh and it's possible that a journalist sent these letters to keep up 
the oh. frenzy that maybe it wasn't him, but they do think with the anatomical like descriptions yeah. that it's that's probably far fetched. But it is a theory out there. So that's the end of part two. And so I'm going to get into part three because it's my favorite because this is where we start theorizing who it might actually be. So the police are still getting super pressured, like I said, including from Queen Victoria to solve this case. So they start what they call the bloodhound trials, which we'll laugh at now, but they got this idea to use hunting dogs to see if they could track human sense to help solve crimes. And yeah, it was the first time they thought about using it. And so they brought a bunch of bloodhounds in from like the countryside Uh and they started with just the police themselves. Like they would have a sheriff kind of leave a marking somewhere and then run somewhere and then see if they could get the dog to track that sheriff. And so they let out that they were training these dogs and the, the press and everybody was just making fun of the cops of how stupid of an idea that was. And it's funny because now we use that, of course, Incredibly in modern day crime solving. So our final victim that was uh, definitely attributed to Jack the Ripper is Mary Jane Kelly. She's 25. Not a whole lot is known about her personal life. But on November 8th, she was seen walking with a man down the street. Um, her friend Marianne Cox even kind of approached her and was like, hey, you all right? And she was like, yeah, I'm fine. My man for the night. You know? oh. <laughs> um, and that was about 11 p.m. But then about 2 a.m., she was seen out on the street again. A man who recognized her saw her and saw her talking to a man he didn't know and just with the Jack the Ripper stuff, worried about her. So followed her and she took him back to her room that she had been renting. Um, And he watched the door for about 45 minutes and then thought, all right, this seems kosh. Mm -hmm. So he left. About 4 a.m., a neighbor said they heard a scream, but no one came to help. Because, again, it's East End. It's a tough place. No one came to help. And the morning, the next day, the landlord comes by to collect her rent for the room she had and uh, found her body through the window. Oh. Called the police. The police say, wait there. Don't go inside. We're going to send the bloodhounds. Yeah. But then, like, they said the bloodhounds were busy. I don't know what they were doing. schedule. Really. So they waited quite a while before they got in. But they said, in this case, on the podcast, um, Greg from Serial Killers described her body as obliterated. Oh. So a face completely mutilated, slashes all over, breasts cut off, her oh. heart was missing, and her organs had been pulled out and placed strategically somehow around the body on the floor. Weird. So, I mean, and she was unidentifiable. Yeah. I mean, just because she's the one that rented that room, they know it's her. Um, and also, it, it's... Obviously, this is the first time he was able to kill indoors, so uh-huh. he really probably got to take his time. And also, they wonder if they knew this was going to be his last, so he was really savoring it. Oh. So this, like I said, was on November 8th. They go through the rest of the winter waiting. The community vigilantes are still out there, and then he just doesn't come back. And to this day, never has. It's insane. It is insane. So there's theories. Why did he stop? Did he die? Was yeah. he sick? Did he die? Did he move somewhere else? Was he afraid that the investigation was getting too hot and he thought, I just got to stop this. I'm yeah. going to get caught. Um, it's possible that he was uh, a sailor and so maybe he just moved on to the next port. Mm. Um, again, the, the biggest theories out there is that professionally he was either a butcher or a doctor to know the, yeah. the anatomy so well. Um, there's another theory that perhaps he was actually from the West End as a well-to-do guy and would travel to the East End to commit these crimes 
because it was out of his area. Though then again, they say it's, most serial killers stay right at home because they're confident. They know the alleyways. Oh, yeah, they know sense. the passageways, and it's their area. There's also a theory out there that maybe Jack the Ripper was a female. Heard there was that. a Russian woman named Olga whose sister had died, I believe, in childbirth and had been working as a sex worker. And so she hated sex workers so much because um, the industry had killed her sister. Uh-huh. So maybe it was her. But that's really pretty discounted because just the physical overpowering yeah. um, need probably wasn't a woman. So... From 1888 to now 2018, over 100,000 people have been suspected of being Jack the Ripper Seriously? at one time or another and have been investigated. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is probably finger pointing and yeah. false accusations, like if you're mad at your ex or whatever, like, I think he's Jack the Ripper. Is it weird that um, I think that, is there a rumor about a, the queen? Uh, not that I don't, that uh, she was Jack the Ripper? I heard something that, like, somebody like of nobility or something may have been it. Could have been. Put her on the list. Sure. Um, Okay, but here are the top three according to this podcast deep dive. Here's the top three suspects. Sure. So coming in at number three, a man named Severan Antoniusevich. I know I bastardized that. He was from Poland. He went by George Chapman by the time these murders happened. Now, remember, there was an Annie Chapman that was one of the victims, Uh but not... His He did have a wife named Annie, actually, but it wasn't the same Annie Chapman. Okay. Both the names Annie, George, and Chapman were all super common back then oh, in, in England. So um, he, in Poland, trained to be a surgeon and was quite good at it and had moved, relocated to London, but being an immigrant wasn't very respected. So he wound up having to work in a barber shop. So, like I said, he married an Annie Chapman, and that's when he took her name. He left her soon after, and he went on to be with lots of women, marry several women wow. after her, and have long-term relationships, all of whom he severely uh, abused. Uh, and in fact, his last few wives and girlfriends, he poisoned. And so he okay. was suspected, because they were all dying in the same way, he was convicted and hanged of uh, for those crimes in 1903, uh-huh. so 15 years after Jack the Ripper. But it's suspected that he could have been Jack the Ripper because, A, he was a surgeon, so we had that yep. knowledge. B, he was incredibly a brutal man, and it's really not uncommon for um, a serial killer to be more brutal towards strangers than oh, they would yeah. be in their own personal lives, even if they're abusing their loved ones, Got it. Um, especially because they want to keep it a secret. So poison is, you know, easier, easier than a mutilated body of your sure. girlfriend. Like, I don't know what happened. Um, so one of the cons of this theory with him is that he was only 23 in 1888. And everyone who's saw one of these women with, with a man identifies him as someone probably a little bit older. Oh, so, I was going to say, because 23 back in that day was 72. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, so he's on the list as probably the number third highest suspect. Number two is a man named Walter Sickart. He's an interesting guy. He was an artist and even taught art at Westminster, Westminster University. Um, but he had an, a fascination with the macabre dark art, uh, with sex work art. Okay. And he was also fascinated with the Jack the Ripper case. And uh, painted a um, portrait called, like, Jack the Ripper's Bedroom. And there are just thoughts that he might have been macabre enough to have actually dreamed of doing this and done it and then talked about it later on. Like, I don't know anything about it, but I'm fascinated. Also, now with current DNA evidence, some of those hoax letters that came into the police station have his DNA on them. 
So he definitely wrote some host letters in the time. That's weird. Um, he may or may not have written the actual letters. It's also thought about him that he was impotent and that he was constantly angry yep. at, towards women for the fact that he yeah, uh, couldn't get it up. So he's a thought. But the number one suspect in their minds is a man named Aaron Kosminski. He was also born in Poland and emigrated to London in 1881. He grew up back in Poland under extreme crime and poverty, uh-huh. much like the East End. Um, he saw violence and hatred on the daily. He was the only boy in a women in a household of all women. His okay. father had left or died early. They're not sure. He had several sisters and his mother. Um, it's a common trait for serial killers not to have their fathers around young yeah. in their life. They were talking, I left this out, but they talked a lot about different types of serial killers and especially uh, killers who go after women about like maybe they, a lot of times they hate their mothers uh-huh. or they've been sexually abused by their mothers that. or, you know, rejected by women. The, the thought about him is that having so many sisters in a poverty situation, he was probably forced to sleep and bathe next to his sisters. And when he was a teenager, he may have been confused sexually oh. and started getting attracted towards his sisters and felt ashamed yeah. and felt, you know, out of control. It's just a theory, but it's possible that he was constantly upset by it and came to really just hate women and hate them being, you know, kind of all over him and his confused thoughts towards them. So there's no real evidence linking him, of course, to those murders. But he was committed for just mental illness in 1891, so three years after the murders. And he was uh, diagnosed while he was um, inside, if you will, with hallucinations. And he would hear voices. He had that problem where he would just spontaneously publicly masturbate and was just violent and very difficult. He died in the asylum in 1919. And just kind of given his history, where he lived at the time in 1888, his physical description, several investigators since all say like their top suspect is uh, Aaron, what I say, Aaron Kosminski. So, Interesting. yeah, I, I don't know how we'll ever prove it, if we ever will. Yeah. I just feel like that murder, the murders, are by somebody who's so calculated but has their stuff together. Yeah, I mean. Honestly, the, to be able to. The precise of the. the, preci- the of precision. The yeah. And then really, like, arranging the organs in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. And probably writing, if you said the letters were in detail, having knowledge of that kind of stuff, to then put it into words. I wouldn't. I, I hear what you're saying that Aaron's number one. Suspect, but in my mind, I'm like, oh no, somebody who's schizophrenic, I don't think would have that ability. Yeah, I I tend to like the surgeon. Their, yeah, their third time. That's what I mean. I'm expecting somebody who's got their shit together a little bit more. That like, yeah, a lady that I would be excited by mm-hmm. and would go with them and stuff. Yeah. So, like I've been mentioning, a lot of detail, a lot of other um, in-depth study of the minds of serial killers and theories. I left out of my recap here for time purposes, but um, it's a three-part. Uh, show series called Jack the Ripper. Again, it's under the podcast network if you want to search it on Stitcher or on the Google Podcast app or in iTunes. If you've got, you know, a couple, two and a half hours, yeah. give it a listen. It's super interesting. You'll learn a lot. They actually talk a lot about other serial killers too cool. who are copycats or did similar things like the Zodiac Killer yeah. who wrote into the police pretty often. So it's 
it's a really well-rounded show. The yes. other thing about um, about this show, I've talked about it with serial killers before. They have a certain amount of camp to it that's fun. They do reenactments of you know oh. the letters with a voice actor. Oh, so funny. it's sort of like 1940s um, theatrical radio mixed with a clomp clomp clomp. Yeah, exactly that stuff mixed with an informational true crime podcast. Cool. So yeah, it's a good listen. Awesome. Go for it. Well, good job, podcast. Yeah. So I think we covered the gamut. Male mask, like masculine vulnerability. We <laughs> yeah. talked about the Rosie O'Donnell show. This was the masculine this show. This was oh, the man show. The man show. <laughs> Perfect. We'll get more Up listeners. Girls jumping on trampolines. You want to go outside and jump on a trampoline? No, it's like a thousand degrees out, man. What is wrong with you? What I want to do is wrap up the show. Tell everybody that they can see us next week. And to rate and review us in iTunes, give us five stars, write a little something about how much you love us, and we will love you forever. That's right. Come on over to Patreon. Don't forget, we're looking for you over there. You can be a beginner, a kinder, or professional rewinder with us. Awesome. All right, Amy. Until next week, everybody, please do not forget to be kind and rewind. Bye, guys. Goodbye.